in Israel, there's a house today, there's still a house um, that is on the plot of land where a man named Caiaphas used to have a house. Caiaphas was a, a, a high priest, religious ruler at the time of Jesus. You might recognize his name from the scriptures. He's unfortunately known as being one of the chief conspirators in the plot to kill Jesus. So Caiaphas had power and money and people's attention, and he stirred the pot, which led to Jesus getting killed. Uh, Caiaphas's house has this underground area about 20 feet deep under the house. And it's shaped roughly like a, like a bell, but like up, upside down bell, right? So it's like that. You get it? You know what I'm saying? Meaning that the bell, if it's growing like that, if you're on the bottom, there's really one small little hole at the top, and it, it's actually very dark. So let me see if I can have Kathy help me with this. I want you to imagine with me for a second that you're in this, this little place under Caiaphas's house. Because it's like a bell, right, it means that there's no, you can't escape. The walls go back in. There's no climbing out. The only way in and the only way out is through really a rope ladder that's brought down. And once you're dropped down into this pit, you're there. This was the holding cell for people awaiting execution. Crucifixion. You know, when we gather as a as a church, we often actually tell the, a story of, of this night that Jesus and his disciples gathered together and they shared this Passover meal. And soon after that, Jesus is confronted by someone who is a friend, a close friend, and he's betrayed. And then he's what? He's, he's arrested. And he's taken off to Caiaphas' house. And then the scene cuts, and it's Friday morning. Now, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about his inevitable death. Had a feeling it was coming. He talked about it so often that his friends seemed to really not like it. And so I'm curious what that night would have been like for Jesus between when he was arrested and the next morning when he was brought off to his execution. Well, he would have been thrown down to the pit, just like any other criminal, completely cut off, and you'd imagine thick stone walls, no one can hear you, just the tiniest ray of light. Jesus, as a, as a good Jewish rabbi would have certainly grown up reciting many of the psalms that we ourselves still say. There's one that always comes to mind when I think about this story of the pit. 
Psalm 88. It goes like this. Here's a couple of lines. For my soul, ah, my soul is full of troubles. Let's just do a quick check-in. Anyone feel like their soul is just a little full of troubles? Yeah. My soul is full of troubles and feels like my life is drawing near to the chaos. I'm counted as one of those who go down into the pit. It's a capital P, as if it's referring to an actual place that people know about. I'm like those who have no help, who are forsaken among the dead. You've put me down in the depths of this pit, in the regions dark and deep. But I, O Lord, I cry out to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. God, why am I cast so far off? They surround me like a flood all day long. From all sides they close in on me. You have caused friend and neighbor, disciple, brother to betray me. My companions are only darkness. The end. You know, it would have been a common practice for rabbis to memorize the Psalms. And I often imagine Jesus sitting in that pit, knowing really what happens when you are one of those who are down in the pit. And I can, I can almost hear those words kind of coming up from him. In the same way that many of us have been in, you know, like a, a hospital room after a loved one has passed away and we find ourselves thinking, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it just kind of comes up. This is the pit. Why don't you go ahead and let's get out of the pit. Thanks, Kathy. Um, we're familiar with this feeling. Right? It, it, it may have grown a little dim, a little strange. Maybe we were fortunate, lucky enough to not feel like we've been in the pit recently. And you don't need to raise your hand, but do you know the pit? Right? You've been there. You know, Jesus references these psalms often in his time. But the inevitability of this sort of death Another passage that he uses often when he's talking about the inevitability of death in a time when people really want to talk about life and transformation is this story of, of Jonah. Anyone remember Jonah from your transformative Sunday school lessons? So this is from the Gospel of Matthew. There's also the same text in the Gospel of Luke. It says some scribes and, and Pharisees, you know, re- religious folks, church committee leaders and Sunday school teachers. Sorry, I throw this, all the Sunday school teachers. That's why they don't want to be involved. <laughs> um, say to Jesus, we, we want to see a sign. Give us a sign. Give us some evidence that what you're talking about actually works. And Jesus responds, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. And no sign will be given 
except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a monster, so for three days and three nights, the son of the human one will be in the heart of the earth. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that's probably not the answer they wanted. I want you to hear this from the, uh, the message translation because I like it just a little bit more. This is how the message translation goes of that same text from the Gospel of Matthew. Later, a few religion scholars got on Jesus' case. Teacher, we want to see your credentials. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that. Give us some hard evidence that God is in this. How about a miracle? Jesus said, you're looking for proof, but you're looking for the wrong kind. All you want is something to titillate your curiosity. Satisfy your lust for miracles. Oh. The only proof you're going to get is what looks like the absence of proof. Let me say that once more. The only proof you're going to get is proof that looks like the absence of proof. Jonah evidence. Jonah evidence. Like Jonah three days and nights in the fish's belly, so too the Son of Man will be gone three days and three nights in a deep grave. Noticing a little bit of a theme here. I should perhaps read the story of Jonah as well. Have you, have you read the story of Jonah? This is one of the, the, the shortest books in the Bible. In fact, you could, this, I'm just, this is it. That's a single page. So if, if you're hungry for some teaching later, maybe dive into Jonah. Nice little pun there. Um, Jonah, Jonah 1 goes like this. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out for all of its wickedness. This is quite a task. But Jonah set flee for Tarshish. Now, I recognize we don't know what Tarshish is. It is not Nineveh. So he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going the other direction trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Okay, again, do a quick check-in with me. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like you're being called one direction, something's happening, here it is, and you're also thinking, I do not want to do this. Nineveh is this way, all right, Tarshish, here we come. Jonah gets on the boat. And it says that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea so that a mighty storm would come. And then the mariners were afraid, which is often true if anyone watched this season of the, right? Um, and then the mariners were afraid and they each cried out to their God. Jonah, meanwhile, was asleep. So they isolate him as the source of trouble here. 
Uh, I'm going to fill you in on the quick story. Um, they ask Jonah, what is he doing? And he, he says, like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to escape. I'm, I'm trying to get out of here. He does say that he, he worships this Hebrew god, a different god from the other gods. And Jonah finds himself right in the middle of the very thing he was trying to avoid. Remember, God calls Jonah to Nineveh, where there's a different God, to proclaim a different way. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do that. Finds himself on a boat where everyone says, give us a testimony. Tell us your mission. And Jonah's like, I, this is what I wanted to avoid. And he does have a moment of truthfulness, which gets often left out of this Jonah story. He says, my name is Jonah. I worship the Hebrew God. And I listen, I'm no, I don't want any trouble. Your, your gods are great too. And the way the story ends is that the, the mariners decide that if they sacrifice Jonah by throwing him into the water, maybe the storm will go away. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. There you go. And then, the passage that we are familiar with, but, but then the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish, that monster, that whale, for three days and three nights. You ever find yourself somehow thrust into the very situation you are trying to avoid? Oh, I don't have the energy for this. And listen, I'm not looking for trouble. Then you find your very self thrown out into the sea. Just down in that pit. Remember the pit, you can't, you can't get out of the pit once you're in the pit. You can't climb out. It's dark. Listen to these lines from Jonah. His prayer from the belly of this beast. I call out to the Lord in my distress. Out of the belly of chaos, I'm crying. And you hear my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and floods surround me, and waves and billows pass over me. And yet you have brought my life up from the pit. And then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah up upon dry land. We're in a season over the last several weeks where we've been talking about the way of Christ as a way of, let's call it, descent. It's not a, it's not a popular buzzword these days. But when you look at the life of Jesus, it's cruciform. Cruciform, meaning it's crucifix, meaning it, it leads to death. Right? We so often want to claim that name Christian. Um, most of us have, have done it. Yeah, we're Christians. But Jesus is simultaneously both a person and a process. 
Let me say that again. Jesus is both person and process, cruciform. The way of Christ is not this way up. It's not the way of gaining. It's not the way of success. Time and time and time again, the way is descent. The word here would be death. Now, when we read that story of Jonah and the whale, our challenge is to not read it literally, but to read it what? Literally. Right? Say, so like, what type of literature is this? What, 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 what is going on here? Is this, is, is this a science lesson? Is this a, 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 a census? Is this a poem? Poetically, how many of you have ever felt like you're in the belly of the beast? Like you've been just swallowed up. Anyone started a new job recently? I'm just looking over in this general direction. <laughs> so when we talk about death, and when we talk about the way of Christ being a way of death, we ought to remember that that's not just a literal death. Now, I'm spoiler alert, right? We die. You know this. I have a funeral this afternoon. We die. But you also ought to remember that I'm talking about more than that death. You know that throughout your life, there have been many deaths that have occurred. A letting go of. Death, as in like a moment where you were swallowed up in the darkness. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you can remember some of those seasons. You've been there before. So when I say that way of Christ is inviting us to recognize the deaths, it's not just the one inevitable. It is the everyday death. It is that bold and daring question of what is it that I need to die to today? When the early church asks Paul, who is a missionary and kind of a church planner, what it meant to be Christian, Paul responded, imitate Christ. Last week we talked about this kenosis, or two weeks ago we talked about this kenosis, an emptying. If there's any encouragement, if, if you want to have any hope in this Christian community, then imitate Christ who took on slavehood. Just one chapter later, Paul says, I too am trying to imitate Christ in Christ's death. Now, did that mean that Paul's ultimate goal was to find himself up on a cross, being crucified like Jesus? No. It was about that everyday process, that rhythm, that way of imitating Christ in our work, in our relationships, in our worship, letting go. Now, of course, what I'm talking about is leaning in to the belly of the beast. Listen, we've been there. You've been in the pit, whatever that pit was for you. You've been swallowed up before. 
You felt those waters rushing over your head. You felt like you reach out and no one's there. You feel like things are closing in. And I'll speak only for myself in this, but time and time again, I have discovered that it is in darkness, in the pit, where I have experienced the greatest transformation. What about you? Time and time again, it is those moments where I'm swallowed up, where I'm stuck in the pit, that real transformation seems to happen. And of course, this is the pattern of the whole universe. Death, then life. Everything you ate for breakfast this morning had to die at some point. Grain and animal, fruit. The sun rises and then sets. All of creation lives so that it may die, so that it may live. And so the question is, if this is the pattern for the universe, life and death, life and death, if we know from our own experience that it is in the pit, in those places of deep darkness, of pain, of pressure, of anxiety, that we experience the greatest transformation, why are we turning and going off to Tarshish? goes against all of our cultural instincts. It goes against a me-first mentality. It goes against a success model. It's inviting fear and risk and uncertainty. And as a pastor and as your sibling in God, I want to invite you to lean into it. To name what the pit is in this season and stay with it. Stay with it. It may not be resolved anytime soon. Three days, three nights can be a long time when you're in the pit. Stay with it. Let it channel and fuel your very prayers. Cry out like the psalmist cries out, not needing an answer, but just needing to cry out to say, I'm in the pit. This is hell. Anyone need that prayer today? Oh, I'm in the pit. The nations are rising up, the voices are loud. in the pit and yet time and time again as I read the gospels the bible I see this as a way of living as a way of life and it is death and also life so stay with it lean into it let's go to Nineveh Let's see what happens when we stay in this 
pattern this way.